may be seated. Let's take God's word together and turn once again to the Old Testament book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 16. We've been looking the last several months really at the life of Moses. And we find ourselves now here at the end of uh, this 16th chapter of Exodus. If you remember last Sunday morning, we considered manna, that bread from heaven, which was only a picture, a foretaste of the true bread from heaven, which is Jesus Christ himself. And this morning, we'll take uh, this time to consider the last part of this chapter. And it's amazing when you consider the Word of God, when you open this book, which is referred to by many names, it's called the Bible, which is simply a word that means the books. It's referred to as the Holy Scriptures. And we often refer, my favorite, is the Word of God, because that's what it is. It's God's Word. It's not man's Word. Some people argue and say, well, it's just a book put together by men, and they haven't done their homework when they say that, because 40 different men wrote together over the span of 1,600 years to put this book together, and you say, well, there you go, 40 men, and not one contradiction. Now, can you imagine we can't get 40 people to agree on what color the sky is, let alone doctrine and theology and things about life and God. Quite a miraculous book when you begin to read it, when you begin to study it, when you begin to recognize the prophecies found in the Old Testament that were already fulfilled in the New Testament and the ones that are being fulfilled before our eyes even now. It's a marvelous book. So when you hear me say the Word of God, I believe it. I believe it. And from the beginning of this book until the end of this book, this entire copy of the scriptures is all about Jesus Christ. That perhaps is the most marvelous thing. You say, well, hold on. I thought the New Testament was about Jesus. The Old Testament is rather boring now, isn't it? And the New Testament, it's, it's, that's what we're interested in today. And my friend, you've got it all wrong. It's all about Christ. It's all about the Lord Jesus. In fact, if you just stop for a moment and think about the last month in the history of the nation of Israel to which we've been studying, if you remember, they're a month out of Egypt, a month into their wanderings. Think with me just the last month of the history of the nation of Israel. They were more than 400 years in, in bondage and slavery. And the last night of their slavery, do you remember, they gathered together in their own homes and they celebrated the very first observance of the Passover. That was called the Passover because that night the angel of, of the Lord, the angel of death, would pass over in every home that did not have the blood of a lamb upon the doorpost. Then the firstborn in every home would lose their life. And so from the very first day of freedom, their freedom began that night. That night when the blood of a lamb was shed which would cause their life to be spared so that they could indeed escape. We have the wonderful picture of Christ who is called the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He is our Passover Lamb. A picture of Jesus. If you remember, they were led out of Egypt through the Red Sea on dry land. Another picture of our deliverance from the world, our deliverance from our enemies picture of the Lord Jesus Christ leading us out of the world, out of sin, into new life. 
If you remember when they came to the bitter waters of Mara, there was a tree cast into the waters, and by the casting in of the tree, the waters became sweet. Picture of the cross, a bitter experience when Christ Jesus died for our sins, but through that bitterness, we find sweetness for our own soul. Through Christ's death, we find life. And just last week, we considered manna, bread from heaven, that was to be gathered every day, that would be just enough for that day to feed the nation of Israel. A picture of the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus said it himself in John 6, I am that true bread of heaven. I am the bread of life. And now we find in this next part of the chapter, the very first time the word Sabbath is found in the scriptures, even here and especially here, we find another picture and symbol and sign of Jesus himself. It's interesting when you think about this, the first time the word Sabbath is found is Exodus chapter 16 right here, and it was before the Ten Commandments were given. Now, there are a lot of different views today on the Sabbath. There are some people who, who view the Sabbath in such a way that uh, they say we must worship on Saturday, which was the Sabbath, and not on Sunday. And if you don't worship on the Saturday, then you cannot go to heaven. That's the way some people imagine. We might call them Seventh-day Adventists. And they have such a, a view of a works-based salvation and not only that, but they have elevated the writings of one of their leaders so high on the same level as Scripture. So we would identify that group of, of, um, of so-called Christians. They're, they're not Christians, I don't believe, but that we would identify that as a cult. Anytime a man is lifted and his writings are lifted on the same par and level as God's, then you've entered into cult territory. So I would always warn folks, uh, don't, don't take my word for it, take God's word. Anytime a man is exalted and everybody says, I follow him, you're on dangerous ground. The only one you should be following is the Lord Jesus. Now, there's a sense when God gives us folks to emulate. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But the moment somebody stops following Christ, then you stop following them. It's very clear. But here we have the Sabbath. There are some others today who are strict Sabbatarians. And that's the way that many folks historically have taken uh, this view. Many dear Christians have taken that where they have imagined that the Sabbath has gone from a Saturday to a Sunday. And so uh, some have imagined that, okay, well, in the New Testament, we now take the same Sabbath principles and hold them on a Sunday. And they're well-meaning in that. And uh, But I think there's an even better way to observe this Sabbath. Sabbath is more than about a day. It's about a person. In fact, when you begin to look at the scriptures, you begin to see that. That the Sabbath was more than about a day. It was about a, a something that was to come. A sign, just like many of the other covenant signs. You remember, uh, there was a covenant sign given to Noah, which was the rainbow in the sky. There's a covenant sign given to Abraham, which was circumcision. And the covenant sign given to Moses is this Sabbath day. In fact, it's told us in Exodus 31 that it will be a perpetual, that a sign of the perpetual covenant. And so we're going to look today at this Sabbath. What is this all about? If you fail, by the way, if you fail to see Jesus in the Passover, it's of no good, no use and no effect to you. If you fail to see Jesus in that manna 
then it's of no use to you. And if you fail to see Jesus in the Sabbath, it's a complete waste of time. We become nothing more and, uh, than, than those Pharisees that the Lord Jesus decried when he was on this earth, who had a strict a, and system and, and a rigid system of following traditions and rules and regulations, but they totally missed the meaning in the heart of it all. May we see Christ today. A couple of observations at the beginning of this in Exodus 16. It's the first time Sabbath is mentioned, but it, it is in, in accordance and in parallel form of what we find in Genesis 2, to which we'll visit in a moment. And it's interesting, on six days they were to gather, and on the seventh day they were to rest. That's the pattern that was given to us from God himself. Six days he created this world, and on the seventh he rested. Now, that is very important that our view of creation is con will be consistent throughout Scripture. The moment you begin to mess with that, that view of creation, then all of these other things which are directly connected begin to fall. Because if God didn't create the world in six days, then there isn't a seventh day of rest, and you begin to mess with that. If God didn't create the world in six days, then he didn't create man on a specific day, and then there wouldn't have been the fall in the garden, and then therefore the Lord Jesus wouldn't have needed to come, and you find yourself in a big mess. And so there's a consistency throughout Scripture. It's interesting to me that every culture in the world has adopted a seven-day-a-week practice. That's remarkable. Now, there have been some who have tried to change that. There have been some men, leaders, who said, oh, we're going to have a ten-day-a-week. That sounds better. And it does. It does, really. I mean, it kind of goes with the metric system and all of that. You know, that sounds like that would be a wise thing to do. People have tried it, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's interesting, and I hope that through this you'll begin to see. It's interesting that from Genesis chapter 2, when God created the world and then rested on the seventh day, until now in Exodus 16, there's no mention of the Sabbath at all. Think about that. Abel, when he offered his sacrifice, and Enoch, when he walked with God, and Noah's preaching in the building of the ark, and Abraham's call and going out, and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, none of them obeyed the Sabbath by way of a command. Because it wasn't given. The command wasn't given until here. Further given in Exodus. Now some argue and say, well, they would have kept it anyways. Now they may have kept some sort of a principle, but it wasn't by way of command. It would have been by way of understanding that there's a blessing connected to it. And we'll look at that here in just a moment. Let's start with this. What is the Sabbath? Well, it literally means to rest from your labor. It's a day of rest comes from Genesis chapter 2. Look there with me, please. If you would, Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made. Now, if, if you don't take that as literal six days, then you have yourself a problem here. Some people say, well, uh, he began, and then, then after millions and billions of years, it was, then, it was then finished and completed. But if you have that, then God didn't finish. Then you have a problem. Either he finished or he didn't finish. 
Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work which he had made, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Now think with me for just a moment about these verses. He finished and ended his work. It's an interesting thought that nothing has ever been created since that time, except for those rare times when miracles were performed, perhaps when God uh, created and brought healing into somebody's body where there was decay and death. But outside of that, there's been nothing new, nothing new under the sun. How can you say that? There have been all sorts of uh, uh, changes, evolutionary changes, and all sorts of adaptations. Well, I, I agree there's been adaptations, but no new creations. Yeah, I have no problem with saying that there are adaptations. I've had to try to adapt uh, eleven since 11 years ago from moving from one country to another. You, of course, you learn to adapt, but nothing new I've not created. Nothing new has been created in me. And so from that day, he ended his work. And then he rested. So a few observations about this day. It was a day when there was a ceasing of labors. It was a day of rest. Now, by the way, this implies satisfaction, not weariness. If you look at the last verse of chapter 1, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. God didn't rest because he was tired. Isaiah chapter 40, you may be familiar with the verse. Uh, the prophet says, God, there is no weariness in God. God does not grow weary. Let me find it for you here. That should encourage you. In your weariness, God never grows tired. Verse 28 of Isaiah 40, hast, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. That should encourage you. He's never tired. He never grows tired. Psalm chapter 121 and verse number 4. Again, this ought to encourage you. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The one who guards and watches, he never falls asleep. He never falls asleep on a job. We've heard of tragedies, uh, many tragedies that have taken place because somebody fell asleep on the job. They, there's some sort of a connection with the sinking of the Titanic to someone falling asleep. There's some sort of a connection with many accidents. There was a, a great tugboat accident in, uh, in, in the early 1900s in, in the state of Ohio along the Ohio River that was a result of someone falling asleep. Many accidents, but God doesn't fall asleep. So when you look at something in your life and you think, this shouldn't have happened. God, where were you? He's right where he's always been. He doesn't sleep. He never grows tired. So when God rested in Genesis chapter 2, it was because he was satisfied. It was perfect. It's enough. And then he does something very interesting in Genesis chapter 2. The Bible says he blesses and sanctifies the seventh day. The word sanctify is to set apart. Some would even say set apart and elevate. So he, he set apart the seventh day and he elevated it. This day is to be different. And he blessed it. There was a blessing attached to that seventh day. Now, I do believe that all those who walked with God in the Old Testament before Exodus 16, they understood there was some blessing connected. And so they did what they did on that seventh day because they knew there was a blessing connected to that day. Not because they were commanded to. Be, 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 warn yourself. Be careful. 
of doing anything just because, just because you are commanded. Now we ought to be willing, if God, if there's a command, we ought to be willing to obey it. But there's something far deeper in every command. And as a child of God, we ought to be willing to look at that. What is the purpose? What is behind this? And let's think now, why did God institute a day of rest? Was it because the Israelites were tired? Was it because they needed rest for their bodies? And that's part of it. If you remember Jesus in the New Testament, by the way, I love studying the life of Jesus. And if you follow him in the New Testament, he was always making people angry because he was breaking the Sabbath. He was always stepping on people's toes because almost in, you, you could almost look at it and say, he did that on purpose. Because people had a wrong view of the Sabbath. And there are so many of us who have a wrong view of so many of God's words and commandments today. And the moment you become hateful about it, now I know some people, if you don't do things their way, I mean, they are spewing venom out of their mouth. They become cyber warriors. And there might be somebody even right now typing up something just by, because of the things I've said. And they become absolutely, I'm telling you, they become warriors, you could say. Cyber keyboard warriors. Because you haven't done it just the way that they have. They would have, they would have had the same problem with Jesus had he, they been alive when he was on the earth. But in Mark chapter 2, it's very interesting. In verse 27, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And what Christ was saying is the Sabbath was meant to be a blessing to man, not a curse. The Sabbath was not meant to bind you and tie you up and for you to be so fearful that I'm going to do the wrong thing on the Sabbath that it became more of a burden than a blessing. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. So why did, why did God institute this day of rest? Was it because man's bodies would grow weary? That's part of it. It was to be a blessing to us. But it's, there's more to it than just that. There's a greater need today. Look this way. There's a greater need today than just you taking a, a break and a rest. That's needed. If you work any sort of manual labor, you know your body can only go for so long before it needs a break. And so God has instituted a pattern so that there is a time of rest for your bodies. In fact, there's even laws that protect the health of mankind by saying you've got to, you can only work a certain number of hours a week, understanding that the body needs a break. Well, God knew that long before we figured that out. And so there's a greater need than just your body getting rest. And the greatest need today is for you to find a rest for your soul. Now, some of you today, some of you have come into this tent. I'm so glad you're here. But some of you have come today, you're looking for something. Maybe your body's not tired. Maybe your body's not weary, but your soul is so weary. You see, although these people that we've just read about here in, in, uh, in Exodus, although these people had been delivered from slavery to Egypt, although they'd been delivered from cruel bondage, they were still slaves in their minds. And it doesn't really matter, in a sense, it doesn't really matter how much liberty you have to do what you want to do and act any way you want to act. 
If you don't have rest in your soul, you will never, ever truly be at rest. And I know some people during the last nine months, something is stirred inside of people because they feel as if some of their liberties are being taken. And we all like to be free. But the reason we like to be free is because we know that we should be free and because we long to be free, even more free than we are now. And that freedom is more than just uh, the infringements upon our, our rights as human beings, but there's a deeper freedom that cannot be found by the government letting go. There's a deeper freedom that cannot be found by people breaking the chains of, of religion and breaking the chains of, of, of other sort of binding. There's a deeper liberty and freedom that can only be found when your soul finds rest. And this is exactly where Israel was. Their constant murmuring and their constant backsliding was the proof that they were still missing rest in their soul. Was the real problem freedom? No, no, no. The real problem was a need for rest in their soul. Some of you today need rest. Some of you have such troubled souls, troubled minds. Some of you are such troubled souls. Somebody once said it like this. We oftentimes say that our body has a soul, but really it's our soul has a body because our soul is who we really are. And when we die, the body is laid in the ground, but the soul goes on. So our soul has a body, and some of you are troubled souls, and that's where you need rest. Yes, your body needs rest, but your soul desperately needs rest. So why a Sabbath? Well, here's a couple of reasons. God instituted a Sabbath for remembrance. I believe that to be found, that pattern to be found in Genesis chapter 2 when he rested, when God rested from his labors, he blessed and sanctified the Sabbath. Why did God do that? So that mankind would forever remember his great, awesome power in creating this world. His awesome ability to speak and create the beauty around us. For them to ever, forever remember the perfection that God had created. Now, in doing that, we will immediately begin to see, hold on, this world's not perfect. And so in, in instituting a day of remembrance, a memorial, we will not only remember how great God is in creation, but we will also begin to realize how that perfection that was created at the beginning, beginning of the world has been stolen from us. We've lost it. John Milton, famous English writer, wrote that famous book, Paradise lost. You and I both know this ain't paradise. There are things to be thankful for. The beauty of God's creation. Love that you can feel and experience. There are many things to be thankful for. And we ought to be a thankful people. But we know this is not paradise. And so in a sense, every time we stop and rest and remember the greatness and almighty power of God, we also ought to stop and remind ourselves we ruined it. We messed it up. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're an atheist or whether you're a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist, whatever background you come from, you and I both know that the one problem in the world today is us. Humanity. We are the problem. We, we, we started it all. 
You can say, well, it was Satan's fault. Well, Satan was, of course, there, present, and involved. But we're the ones that chose to disobey. Well, that wasn't my fault, you say. Yes, but you follow suit, don't you? Well, I'm not a murderer. I understand that. But you're just as broken as the next person next to you. I'm no better than you because I'm up on this platform and I have a nice suit on. It's not that nice, but I'm not any better than you. We are all in the same boat. We have ruined it. The one problem in the world today is not climate change, it's us. The one problem in the world today is not coronavirus, it's mankind. Honestly, look around after, after thousands of years and after all of the scientific advancement and intellectual learning, we are just as rotten as ever. Because man is the problem. We have ruined that paradise. And so every time we stop on that day to rest, find rest for our bodies and to remember that God in six days created this world, we begin to look around and say, man, I wish I would have been there when it was perfect. And we begin to remind ourselves we're a part of the problem. And so really, the day of rest ought to bring about repentance. When we think about all that has been lost. It's an interesting thought that man really has no heart for God's rest, does he? I mean, you find it here in Exodus 16. God said, okay, six days you're going to gather your food and your manna. And then on, on the sixth day, you're going to gather twice as much for the sixth and the seventh day. Because on the seventh day, there, there ain't going to be no food. And on the seventh day, you find the Israelites getting up in the morning and going out to gather food when God already told them there wouldn't be any there. You're supposed to rest. Because they didn't really care. They had no heart for a rest with God. And how many of us today are the same way? We see the commandments of God. We see the warnings and the, the encouragements in God's word. But yet our heart just isn't really interested. Because the heart of man is so bent and broken that it is constantly running away from the rest of God rather than running into that rest. And that's why we find ourselves, when we get to the point in life when we know something's not right, something's missing inside, we begin searching, don't we? We go from one place to the next trying to find something to give us rest and satisfaction inside. We go from one thing to the next, one relationship to the next, until finally we sit down so utterly exhausted. We don't know what to do. We've gone to everything but where God has instructed us to go. Jesus Christ himself. Over and over. It's interesting to me that God said to these Israelites, look, don't, you're not going to find any food there. But yet they went looking anyways. And God tells you, you're not going to find food for your soul in this world, but yet we still look in the world, don't we? God says you're not going to find the answers. You're not going to find rest. You're not going to find peace anywhere else except in the person of Jesus. But we don't like that, do we? I'll show you. I'm going to find it somewhere else. We're going to look and try in every corner, turning up every rock, when if we would just go to Jesus, we would find what we're looking for. I love what Jesus says. We'll, we'll come back to it in just a moment. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus will give it to you. We don't have it because we won't go to him. Man doesn't really have a heart for God's rest. It was always God's desire to commune with man in the garden. But man's heart doesn't want it. 
You remember what Israel said? I wish we were back in Egypt by the flesh pots. When God says, I wish you were sat down resting with me. Can you imagine? Why else do we have a Sabbath? For remembrance? Number two, it's a gift. In Exodus 16, verse 29, look at it. The Bible says, see, for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath. It's a gift. The Sabbath was made for man, not the sa- not uh, not man for the Sabbath. It's a gift from God. It's a gift that is, yes, a rest for your body, but is a gift that offers unto us a sign. Pointing to something greater. And that's where I want to take you now. It's that 11th chapter of Matthew when Jesus says so clearly and so suitably, come unto me, all ye that labor. Now, do you remember the seventh day was to be a rest from your labors? And the Sabbath is a day where we rest from our labors and we are meant to contemplate and think about the things of God. And Jesus says this, come unto me, all you that labor. Do you know there are many people who uphold in their mind, they think they're upholding the Sabbath, and they still haven't found rest. They're still laboring. Now what did Jesus mean when he said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden? Two things, two invitations. He invites two kinds of people to come to him. Those who are laboring, working, working, working. Now, I don't mean working a job 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week. I mean working, trying to get to God. Jesus said, look, all of you who are trying your very best to get to God, you're doing everything right. You're, you're trying to do everything right. You're trying to keep the Sabbath, and you're trying to keep these laws, and you're trying to do this, and you're trying to do that. You're working so hard to get to God. Jesus says, come to me. I'll give you rest. Because the truth is, no amount of work will ever get you to God. No amount of keeping the law and keeping the ordinances and, and keeping all the feasts, and no, none of that will ever get you to God. Jesus says, if you are laboring and you're trying to get to God, you're, maybe you're really, you're really trying to be good and you're trying to do all the things that somebody once told you you had to do to get to God. Jesus says, just come to me. Just come to me. Now, mankind has a problem. We've always had this problem. We, we don't want to rest. We want to work. You say, I don't want to work. I want to sleep. What are you talking about? Uh, yes, but there's something inside of us. We, we, don't, we, don't like, we don't like the idea that something can just be granted and given. We want to feel the accomplishment that we've earned it. I've worked hard for this degree. I've earned this degree. I've worked hard in this job. I've worked my way up the career ladder. I've worked hard for this. I've earned this house. I've earned this salary. I've earned this car. We like to earn things, but you cannot earn favor with God. And Jesus says, stop. Just as you work six days, and then on the seventh you stop. You stop from your labors. Jesus says to you today, stop trying. Stop trying to earn your way to heaven. Stop trying to earn favor with God. Stop trying to make God happy with you because you've crossed all of your T's and dotted all of your I's. No, rest in Christ. That's salvation. Resting in what He has done. Not what you can do. In fact, somebody once said this, you can divide all of religion into two categories. Those who are doing and that which is done. To do and done. 
And most of the world is trying to do, do, do to make an angry God happy. But true Christianity says, no, no, it's been done. Finished. Remember what Jesus said on the cross? It is finished. No more. So rest, cease from your labors. And Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor. Look at the next thing. And are heavy laden. Burdened. Like there's a big burden on your back. A weight is pulling you down. And some of you today have a weight on your shoulders. It's a weight of disappointment. It's a weight of failure. It's a weight of guilt and a weight of shame. And that comes as a result of the sinfulness of mankind. And that weight is pushing you down more and more each day. And some days you feel like you can't even get up because the weight is so heavy. And Jesus says, you come to me if you're heavy laden. Come. And I will give you rest. And then he says something interesting. Take my yoke upon you. And so we, we begin to realize, okay, so when we enter in with Christ, there's a rest for our souls, but there's also help to continue on. Because we don't rest forever, do we? Because when the seventh day is over, comes day number one again, and we got to get back up and do it all over again. But Jesus says, when you come to me, you're going to find rest, and you're going to find help for the other six days. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. There's a twofold rest found in Jesus. There's a rest right now from all of your labors and all of your burdens. And there's another further rest that you will find as you walk with him. Some of you have only just entered in. You've only just repented of your sins, trusted in the Lord Jesus. You have found rest from your burdens. You've found rest from your labors. But you're still unsettled inside because there's a further rest to be found. There's more. Just like there's the grace of God that brings salvation to us, but there's more grace. Grace upon grace. Just like there's, there's a measure of peace that is granted at the moment of salvation because we get peace with God, but you can have peace multiplied. And so you can have a further rest by learning to take the yoke of Christ upon you and resting in your work. So it's not, okay, on the seventh day, here's what some people think. One day a week we have the Sabbath day. We don't do any work. We don't pop the kettle on. You don't, you don't do anything. It's the day of rest. But then the other six days, you don't think about Jesus Christ. You don't think about how he's the rest for your soul. And you labor, labor, labor like everybody else does. And Jesus says that's not enough. There's a rest for your soul every day of the week. It's a way of life. It's a way of living. Not just one day. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Marvelous to think of. Hebrews chapter 3, in closing, just a couple of thoughts, a couple of verses here, then I'll be finished. Hebrews chapter 3 is, is, a, is a, a hindsight of Exodus, Exodus 16. And in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, we find out how these Israelites were so stubborn that they wouldn't rest. They couldn't enter into the rest. Verse 7 Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, 
Harden not your hearts as in the day of, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, so in my, I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. They couldn't enter in to the promised land for one reason. Verse four, uh, chapter four, verse one. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. There's a rest for your soul that comes with faith, trusting in Christ. And the reason these Israelites, you know what you know the reason they got up on Sunday morning to go get the bread? Pardon me, Saturday morning on the Sabbath. The reason they got up was because they didn't trust God. They didn't believe Him. God had just said, there's not going to be any food there on the Sabbath, on the Saturday, so don't go, don't go out there. Get enough. Maybe they didn't get enough on Friday. Maybe they didn't get enough on Friday for Saturday because they didn't believe. They didn't believe God. And so many of you are missing a rest for your soul because you don't believe God. And you'll never be able to enter into that rest for your soul until you learn to believe that what he says is true. Will you trust him? It's faith. The root problem of it all is unbelief. The root problem of all of this is unbelief. And by the way, you can observe to the strictest form a Sabbatarian view. But if you're lacking faith in your heart, it does you no good at all. Just one way you say, well, how come we're not meeting, we don't rest on a Saturday anymore? That's really a whole nother ser- sermon. But let me just give you a verse in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new mean or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body or the substance is of Christ. The Sabbath is a picture of Christ. Jesus Christ is our Sabbath. And I hope you have found that rest. You will never find what you're looking for until you humble yourself and submit yourself to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come unto me. The idea of taking his yoke is an idea of humbling yourself. Will you come to him today? Some of you need this rest for your soul. You are very unsettled in your soul. Some of, and some of you are experiencing day by day and week by week such extreme depression and discouragement. And it's because you will not come to Christ and find that rest for your soul. Come to Him. Even today, come to Him. The Sabbath was made for you. Rest for your soul. The Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you'll look to Him today. Maybe have some other remarks about this in a in the weeks to come. But let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the time we've been able to spend together in thy word, and we pray that we might find that true rest. We might rest from our labors, knowing that Christ Jesus has paid it all. 
There's nothing more for us to do but to rest in Him. May the words that we've sung a moment ago, Jesus, I am resting, resting. May that be truth in each one of our lives. I pray for the one today whose heart is so unsettled and whose soul there is no rest. May they run to Christ this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's sing together our final hymn this morning. Hymn 216. I love this hymn. 216. Written by Horatius Bonner. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one, lay down thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. Let's stand together as we sing. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one, lay down thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was weary and worn and sad. I find in him a resting place, and he has made me laugh. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water, thirsty one, Stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in Him. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Look unto me, thy morn shall rise, and all thy day be bright. I look to Jesus, and I found in him my star, my sun. And in that light of life I'll walk, Till traveling days are done. Just remain standing. We're going to be dismissed in a word of prayer. There is a further rest that awaits the children of God. It's the rest that comes at the end of the week, at the end of the life. It is an eternal rest in Christ. It's the hope that every believer has, that when you breathe your final breath, we enter into that final rest. You ever hear somebody say or write 
when someone passes, rest in peace. For there is a true eternal rest. A rest from problems, a rest from illness, a rest from depression, a rest from all the struggles of this world. And that will one day we'll have that rest eternally. But until we get there, there is a rest for your soul now. There's a, a rest to be found right now. And I hope that you can experience that even today. Let's be dismissed in prayer. If you have a question, a concern, you'd like to speak with someone, maybe you realize for the first time you need Christ. I'll be happy to talk with you. I cannot save you, but the Lord Jesus can. I'll be happy to seek his face with you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank thee that there is a rest for our soul. Yes, Lord, we thank thee for the rest for our bodies as well. But oh, how sweet it is to find rest within the depths of our soul. Oh, how sweet it is that in the chaos all around us, there is peace. A peace that passes all understanding. We thank thee for the rest that is found in Christ Jesus. Our prayer this morning is for those who do not know that rest yet. Help them today to enter in to that rest. Help us, Father, to walk the way that we should walk, remembering what we've lost because of sin, but also rejoicing in what is to come because of Christ. Help us to keep our eyes fixed upon our glorious Savior. Now we pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of 